I wonder what your mood is on this first Sunday of the year as we begin this year. There are many people who were hoping that uh, 2021 would mark a new era or a new uh, uh, space of time, a quality of time, a character of time, uh, different from 2020. And uh, for many, there is not much of a difference. And uh, I'd like to talk to you a little bit about this time that we are in and uh, what I feel the Lord has to speak to us as a church. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for your presence with us, your presence that is with us in such a way that between 2020 and 21, there was no break, there was no seam in your presence. In fact, your presence goes on ahead of us into the rest of 2021, and we ask you that you will show us how you lead us through that year. We thank you that you are eminently with us. In fact, Lord, we believe that you are pressing in on us. And so we ask you that every person who feels your absence or feels the, the unfulfillment of this day and age will receive a touch from you in such a way that um, this whole year will be their best year ever. We welcome the presence of you and all your riches and all your benefits and all your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Um, the first passage I'd like to look at with you is Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16. And we read it from uh, verse 1. This is uh, the situation in which Jesus had risen from the dead. But as far as the disciples were concerned, uh, nothing had happened. All they had seen was that he had been crucified and been laid in the tomb. We'll read it from verse 1. When Sabbath was over... Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might come and anoint him. Very early on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. They were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, although it was extremely large. Entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting at the right, wearing a white robe, and they were amazed. You want to, you, it, the, the young man, of course, is an angel. An angel, is the, the word for angel is often translated just messenger. So angels can come sort of in a way that looks like uh, any one of us. And he said to them, do not be amazed. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who has been crucified. He has risen. He is not here. Behold, here is the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you. To Galilee, and there you will see him, just as he told you. They went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had gripped them, and they had said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Verse 9, Now after he had risen early on the first day of the week, he first appeared to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons, and she went and reported to those who had been with him, while they were mourning and weeping. And when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they refused to believe it. After that, 
he appeared in a different form to two of them while they were walking along on their way to the country and they went away and reported to to the others, but they did not believe them either. This is all happening before they had met him in Galilee. After he appeared, verse 14, to the 11 themselves as they were reclining at the table and he reproached them for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they had not believed those who had seen him after he had risen. And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved, but he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. These signs will accompany those who have believed in my name. They will cast out demons. Okay, so these are the signs for believing, signs of believing. Yeah, These signs validate our belief. In fact, belief is not seen as a subjective experience which is all internal and secret and nobody knows. And we have to take it for granted that, you know, when I say that, when someone says they believe, they believe. as a sort of an interior um, subjective thing. But um, as far as the scriptures are concerned, the scriptures are very external, very externalized as well. They are very objective. These signs will accompany those who have believed. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. Yeah? If you believe, you will speak in new tongues. You will cast out demons. They will pick up serpents. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. These are signs. These are um, attestation of belief. Yeah? They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. What, what, what Jesus was saying is this. The belief and the externals that these, be- these beliefs uh, produce are on one piece. Uh, we have a, a situation in modern terms in which the internal and the external are separated. Yeah? That which is subjective and that which is objective in terms of observable uh, has been separated out. So because of that, we tend to think of religion as of the interior life only. And it is true that it begins inside, but uh, there's always an attestation of belief and this is something that I want to believe that we this year are going to experience more of. God has that for us. Yeah? God has that for us. And if we don't, we don't experience this, there are reasons why that happens. And there are ways in which this truth, this actual reality of God can be experienced with us. So as we are listening to this, I hope you are expectant that this year there will be attestation to, to believe. There will be more attestations than ever before. There will be more healings, more tongues, more um, uh, uh, miracles that are taking place. The miracles are an attestation to what is already there. Now, if you tell me you believe, but there are no miracles, I'll say, okay, I believe you, but I don't know. I don't know because there's no attestation. And so what uh, Marx very simply, very boldly says is this, that if you believe, these, these signs will, will, uh, will accompany those who believe. They, they're not the main thing about belief, but they just accompany. They're not, the, they're not the main agenda, but they accompany these things. Okay, so I'd like to, to, to talk a little bit about that. But um, before we, we go into that, I'd like us to look at the mood that the disciples must have had. The time in which um, uh, Mary, the Mary, the two Marys, uh, were experiencing was uh, what I would consider in sort of a time of unfulfillment. I would say the unfulfillment of Jesus' words, the, the lack of any kind of uh, clear uh, proof that anything that he said in terms of his words 
would really come to pass. Yeah. Um, and in some ways, I have a sense that many people who are listening in this uh, live stream are feeling that in 2021, there is this, a certain unfulfillment or an unfulfilledness in life. You were hoping that somehow magically perhaps uh, 2021 would leave 2020 behind and things will be different magically because we are now in 2021. But actually, uh, a few days have passed already and you are actually in exactly the same, same way. 2021 uh, seems to be just a continuation of 2020. And I just wonder whether um, there is a sense in which, as you look at 2021, there's not a lot of hope there. You, you are looking for a new era, but uh, the, that new era has not come. Uh, you are neither here nor there. And I think this is what, what, what the, the disciples were experiencing. Lots of, of words, but those words have not come to pass. In some ways, you are in an in-between time. You are in the meantime. And uh, what um, you are experiencing is that very uh, painful time in some ways, a very trying time between promise and fulfillment. And today I'd like to talk a little bit about this, this period, this very difficult period for some, for some people in which you, when you really look at it as you, you, you peer over the edge of 2020 into 2021 and you see a great chasm of nothing, a chasm of unfulfilled, unfulfilled things, or unfulfilled words, um, and un unfulfilled hopes. Um, it's almost as if the words that have been spoken uh, of promise seem to be powerless and uh, they have not brought, been brought to fruition. Um, in some ways, those words that you have heard are fully called into question. Or it could be that just what's happening is just that you're just being stretched out uh, because there does not seem to be a clear path or a clear future in the, in the days ahead. That was what the children, the, sorry, the disciples were experiencing and Mary as they came to the tomb. Um, suddenly, an unexpected thing happened as Mary, the two Marys came. Uh, he, it says in verse 6, he said to them, this, this young man in a, in a white robe that was, that, was, uh, that was amazing them, do not be amazed for you are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who has been crucified. He is not here and, I, and there are a few phrases that are there that I'd like to really look at you. It says, he's not here. Behold, here is the place where they laid him. And I want to talk about here for you. What is here for you? What is, what is the, the here place, the, the not there place, the, the not fulfilled place? Uh, look at it, he says. Look, at, here is the place where you laid him. All you have is, he, is in, in terms of here, the here and now, so to speak, is memories of what happened before and what and 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 the, and the taste of what's not happened uh, up to now. And uh, perhaps you are in this place in which you're just looking at here, here the 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 the, the not here of here. <laughs> and as you look at this 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 situation, and you find that the fulfillment is not there, the miracles have not happened, the promises fulfilled have not not happened. Jesus does not even seem to be here. And I want to just, just pause here for a little bit for us to just take it in, perhaps, and to feel out 
our situation today, the, the sense of not, the sense of not. And then to look at the fact that if there is nothing here, where is Jesus? Where is Jesus in our lives? Is there any direction? Is there anything to look forward to in 2021? If all we have is the job not here, the finances not here, the significant other not being here, the fulfillment of prayers not here, the memories of jo more joyous times now only being memories, but those times not being here. Um, and I feel that this is something that the, the, the two Marys experienced, the women who came experienced when they, all they were looking forward to is a memory of something that was wonderful before, but had died now. But he said, the angel said, he is not here. Behold, here's the place where you have laid him. But go tell his disciples and people, Peter, he's going ahead of you. That is, you can't look to here to find him. You have to look ahead of you because he's gone ahead. Because he's gone ahead, he's not in the pile of experiences, the pile of unfulfilled promises and hopes that you are looking at now. He's not here. That place, those places are empty. And there are ways in which my, my suggestion to you is that actually God is saying, don't look to that place. Don't look to what's been in the past. Don't look to what you were, you, 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 you were hoping for and had uh, ended up in, a, in an unfulfilled uh, uh, place. Don't look to here. There is something that has gone ahead of you. And this Jesus who has gone ahead of you and has gone to, to Galilee is going to meet you there. And in the meantime, between now and you meeting him there, between now and the fulfillment of the promise that he is resurrected, the between now and the fulfillment of all the prayers that we have prayed, the, the more that was supposed to happen, there is this gap in which he's going to guide you through. I like to look at that gap. Okay, So here, here he says, he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him. You won't see him here. You will see him there. And so what the angel did was to begin to reorientate the look, the, 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 um, the focus from here, the lack, the past, the present deficit, to there, something in the, in the future that Jesus was taking him to. I, mean, I feel that there are some, some of us who are in this situation where you feel that there is nothing here for me. I'm suffering here. And what Jesus is saying here is, don't look to here. Look to him. He's going to be there. He's, looking, he's, he's waiting for you. Here's the place where they laid him. He's going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. We'll stop here a little bit. I remember when uh, I experienced in a, in, a, in a small way some of that experience of unfulfilledness, of, uh, of anxiety. I, I, I must say that uh, when I came back from England with my family, 
I came back. I was, I think, about 13 or 14 years old. And uh, after studying in England for maybe two and a half, three years, um, I had no knowledge of the Malay language that uh, was a compulsory subject. You have to pass the Malay language paper uh, in order to get into the sixth form or to continue high school education. In those days, um, everybody feared the, what he called the Bahasa Malaysia, the, the, the Malay language paper, because that paper, that there, was, there were two papers with, two, with an oral exam as well that you had to pass with a credit. So you, it's not even enough to pass, pass it, get a pass, but you have to have a credit in order to go into um, sixth form, which is the matric, um, um, pre-university. Okay, that's, uh, I think, the equivalent to 12th grade. Uh, over here. And so um, I was really worried. I was really worried about it because in all the years that I had uh, gone, lived in England, I had no knowledge of Malay. Um, all we could speak was a broken cockneyed English. And um, as far as Malay was concerned, we had no, 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 no experience with it. Um, and in two years, we were going to have to sit. I was going to have to sit for that professional Malay exam, in which that level of Malay that we were required was a level of Malay that would be a professional level, in which um, they would be using Malay in work, in uh, in uh, in the civil uh, uh, transactions as well. And I didn't see how it was ever going to be possible for me to pass that Malay exam let alone get a credit for it. And so I remember those two years in which um, I struggled in school to, with that sense that if I don't get a credit for Malay, I can't come continue. I can't go to pre-U or I can't go to lower six or upper six before we go to university. And the worst thing about it is that the year before um, um, I was going to take it, there was a slaughter year in which many brilliant people who got seven distinctions or eight distinctions had got just a pass or had failed Malay and they couldn't continue their studies. They're brilliant, brilliant people who had, who had got, got, gone to any great school uh, anywhere else. But in Malaysia, they could not get, in, get into uh, sixth form. And I, and I remember my cousin who, who, who spoke more Malay than English Failing that, did very, very well in, uh, in, in, uh, in his O-levels, but for O-level Malay, he failed. And I could not imagine how I could even hold a candle to his Malay as I sat for, for that exam. I mean, I, I cannot even describe to you two years of just pure panic for me in, in just think, and just thinking, how could I hope to even pass when all these other more brilliant people have actually failed and have studied it for all this time, all these years while they were there. And it was in this place that this uncertainty uh, just was hanging over me during these, uh, in, in the fourth and fifth form, before sixth form, before we took the O-levels. I took the O-levels, took the Malay, did the oral, and I had no idea how I did. I, 
I, and then we have this long wait. It's about six months to get our results for the O-levels. And uh, I was experiencing this in-between time, this, this uncertain uncertainty. Now, you have to understand that I am a pretty, by nature, a very anxious kind of person. I'm a worrywart. And so with this, I was even more worried. And so during the months, I had no recourse but to ask God, am I going to pass? How is it going to be? Will I not be able to go to sixth form? Will I have to repeat my O-levels again? Or will I have to repeat my Malay? Um, Malay language exam. And, you know, I was pretty young and I didn't know how to hear from God. So the only thing I could do was to actually flip the page. <laughs> and so every time I got anxious, which was a lot, I would flip the page and somehow the, 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 the Bible whose page I was flipping would open up to a place that seemed comfort, comforting to me and seemed like God was speaking to me that, he will turn out okay and uh, he will do a miracle and all that. And so I had to go through this six-month period of waiting, a very excruciating period in which the only relief that I had, the only hope that I had that things will work out okay would be that God was actually going to speak to me when I flipped the page. Now, it's not a, a method of hearing from God that I would recommend to you, but I, nobody taught me about how to hear from God or how to, to get a word from God. I just did that, and it seemed like God would give me a word. And this word would, would seem to, to, to continue with me again and again. And it was this word, Matthew 66, sorry, Matthew 6, 33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, heaven, and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. And that word became such a formative word for me because what this word was saying was not just promising uh, unconditionally that I would pass or I would get a credit for, um, for, for Malay, but that if I set my attention not upon that, but upon seeking him and to putting him first in my life, things will work out okay. It seemed as if God was saying, you don't worry about this. I want you to focus more on seeking me and uh, finding me and following me and putting me first in your life. It was, a, it was better than nothing. Okay? It was better than nothing because even though it was not saying that uh, it's going to turn out okay, it was seemed to be saying that, you know, that these things will be added unto me. Somehow it will turn out. And for six months, I, I, I chewed upon it. I chewed upon it. There were times in which I would wake up in the morning and feel nothing of that word. That word seemed to be like, like just water of a duck's back. All, that, all those encouragements that I had just experienced the day before when I read it and meditated upon it had all gone away. It had all, all evaporated. And the next day I was feeling just as depressed uh, as, as before. And I would have to come back to God and to ask God, give me a confirmation. And somehow the Lord would lead me to a passage of scripture. And suddenly I realized when I would talk to friends who are much better at Malay than me uh, about the exam and all that, I realized that I was, I was floating on words from the Bible and no real solid um, proof that all those words would actually come to pass. 
and I lived for six months like that. But you know, as I did that, doing repetitively, just going back to the scriptures, getting anxious again, being, being smitten by fears and, uh, and the reality of my situation, I would go back to God and just wait in his presence until uh, uh, comfort began to come. Day after day, I would do that. Every day would be a struggle. Every day. Can you imagine that? Every day for six months, just struggling, waking up, feeling depressed, feeling hopeless, and then praying that God would speak to me and then getting a word. Finally, the six months actually did come to an end. I want to tell you that these periods of anxiety do actually come to an end. And the the time between uh, Jerusalem and uh, and Galilee does actually uh, contract. And uh, the exam results came. And I got a credit. I couldn't believe it. I never even, even looked at all my other subjects. We had 10 subjects, I'm sorry, nine subjects that we had to do. I just looked at one thing, the, the Bahasa Malaysia, and I got, I just made a credit. Just made a credit. I had the lowest credit that would, that would be, but it was above a pass, and I got into sixth form. And it was in this place that I knew that by that time, I had changed. I had changed. Something of a word had become a conviction. Before, it was just a word as a thought, a particle, an idea in my mind. But it had become a conviction. For the disciples, the angels, the, the angels said, go he's, he, and meet him in Galilee. And uh, the distance between Jerusalem and Galilee was about 200 miles. About 200 miles. I don't know how they were going to go. Maybe they're going to walk. Maybe they were going to, uh, there was no public transportation and all that. They were going to have to walk it. And can you imagine what that 200 miles felt like for them? It's a big deal. This person who has been, they have been told by what seemed like just a young man, not like an awesome or impressive angel, just a young man who's a messenger from God, fresh-faced, right? Not awesome-looking, but just a young man. Actually, one of the, one of the, one of the women thought that that young man was a gardener and uh, mistook, mistook him for a gardener. So it was not as if that was a, was a, was a, was a very awesome uh, encounter, but there was a word that had been spoken. And as they took that 200-mile track from Jerusalem to Galilee, you can imagine what that journey must have been like. What, was, what were they thinking? What were they feeling? What do we experience between now and there? Well, now and then. We'd like to talk a little bit about that. They said, he's going ahead of you to Galilee. There he will see him. I want to say to you that there will come a time in which God is going to fulfill his promise to you. His word will become solidified in you. But there is a process. And the process, a 200-mile process, is what we are going to be experiencing today as we look at um, the scriptures. He is going ahead of you, verse 7, to Galilee. There you will see him. Just as he told you. Just as he told you. In some ways, just as he told you was a, is a tremendous key. And I think that this is going to be something that 
is going to be important. The words that God speaks to us, the spoken word that God gives to us, the word that is spoken by God to us is what is going to fill us in that 200-mile gap between Jerusalem and Galilee, the words that he spoke would either become less real or they will become more solid or more real to them. And I want to put it to you that in these days, in the beginning of 2021, in the in-between time that you may be experiencing, God is wanting to do something in that journey, the in-between Time, the journey of the in-between time. And I want to say to you that this is going to be crucial for the church of Jesus Christ today. How the Word of God becomes an authentic, real Word. How we hear a Word from God this year, whether it becomes real or it is just data or it just becomes just ideas, is crucial. Because what's, what's important is this, that we receive a real word from God, that the word that God speaks to us, only the word that God speaks to us will change us or have power. Right? Have power. I'd like to look, look, at, look, look with you at, that, at, at how, how uh, it, uh, it, it was seen in the Old Testament. If you turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 10. Deuteronomy chapter 10. How, how many of you know that, uh, do, that uh, the wilderness experience for children of Israel is also a transitional time. Yeah? Uh, Deuteronomy 10. Turn with me to Deuteronomy 10, and I will, I will look at how the Word of God is and how it is to be treated. Uh, in verse 1, uh, Moses had, uh, had destroyed the, the first edition of the tablets of stone of the, uh, of, uh, of the Ten Commandments because of Israel's disobedience. Basically, they had insinuated the, the idolatry of the world into their religion. At that time, the Lord said to me, Moses says to the children of Israel, cut out for yourself two tablets of stone like the former ones and come up to me on the mountain and make an ark of wood for yourself. So what God was saying to, to Moses is this, in order for me to cut a new covenant with, with, with the children of Israel, a covenant that I'm going to do for you, there must be a certain procedure by which this actually happens. Cut out for yourself two tablets of stone. Like the former ones, these tablets of stone would represent the heart. In, in, a, in a Second Corinthians, Paul talks about the, the fleshly tables of our heart um, and uses that analogy. Two tablets of stone like the former ones and come up to me on the mountain and make an ark of wood for yourself. The ark of wood is a representation of, of our humanity, yeah? our humanity. And I will write on the tablets the words that are in the former tablets, which you shattered, and you shall put them in the ark. Okay, you shall put them in the ark. What God is saying is this. You bring the tablets, bring your heart to me, bring the tablets, and I will write the words on the tablets. You are not supposed to write those words. It's not you who's writing it, but I'm going to write it. So if you see any pictures of Moses like kind of chiseling the Ten Commandments into the, to the stone tablets, that is actually unscriptural. The point about the, the, the writing of the tablets is that it has to be done by God, by the finger of God. And it would be more scriptural to show a finger of God writing the Ten Commandments rather than Moses chiseling the Ten Commandments. And I know I've, I've seen many, 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 many illustrations of that. I will write the tablets 
on the tablets the words that were on the former tablets which you shattered, and you shall put them in the ark. So Moses says, so I made an ark of acacia wood. Acacia wood is also called shittim wood. And I have shared about acacia wood before, and for those of you who never heard it, acacia or shittim wood is uh, from a bush or a, or a, 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 not really a tree, but yeah, a tree, a bush, bush kind of tree that has very spindly uh, and very thin and very wayward branches. They're very, very hard to work with. They're very, very hard to work with. There's, there's hardly a tree that has, the, that has, has more perverse branches than the acacia uh, tree. And he says, I'm, I want you to take that tree. It's this tree that we're going to use to make the Ark of the Covenant. And it's a picture of how God takes our humanity, the total perversity, the sinfulness, the, the idiocy of our own personal character, and is able to lay it out and straighten it out somehow, and by much, much work, actually make a whole place in which the tabernacle, the, sorry, the, 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 the tablets of stone would be put inside. It would be upon this perverse piece of wood, perverse con- uh, structure of, 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 of this constructed wood, that God would put his word, he put his heart in. And it would be in this that he would bring his glory and his presence upon us. And, uh, and, and, and Moses has to go do this. Verse, verse 3, So I made an ark of acacia wood and cut out two tablets of stone like the former ones and went up on the mountain and the two, with the two tablets in my hands. He wrote, he wrote on the tablets like the, form, like the former writing, the Ten Commandments, which the Lord has spoken to you on the mountain from the midst of the fire on the day of the assembly and the Lord gave them to me. This is something that that tells us about the Word of God. The Word of God, not as data, not as, not as something that you read off the surface, not something that is, that is just answered in dialogue with people in the world. It's not just something that is, that, uh, that is in answer to people's questions. It is not just um, an ethical structure that is sort of, uh, that, is, uh, um, uh, that comports with that which is the world. It is totally off itself. It is totally separate to be distinguished from the world. It is totally done by God. It is nothing like anything that's on earth. The Word of God is nothing like that. And the encounter and the experience of the Word of God is an experience with God Himself. It is not getting, uh, getting uh, uh, data from the Bible and trying to apply it into, into modern situations. It is a thing that came from the other side. And so when, when we're talking about the Word of God, just as he said, um, the angel said, the word that is just as he said, he's speaking about the word that is spoken in a moment, in an, in an encounter with God. It's a God moment. It is this kind of word that we are looking for in the in-between time. Only a word like that will sustain us in the, in the meantime. But it has to be something in which it has to be received in a reverent way. And what Moses was doing was he was receiving in a sort of a typic, type, typical or typical form in terms of type, the way in which God actually speaks to us and the way in which God embeds his word in us so that we in our shitten woodness and our carcassianness, our perversity can actually shine forth from within a word that 
takes us over. No other word will be, more, will be powerful enough for us. It, is, it stands alone. It is to be distinguished. It's to be separated from any other word. I want to uh, um, develop this thought. If you turn with me to Galatians chapter 1, Paul speaks to the Galatians. And part of the problem that the Galatians had is this. They who, just, who had begun in the Spirit were now sliding back into some kind of formulation that sort of merged the otherness of God, the, the total separateness, the holiness of God with the, 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 the experience of tradition and, and, and worldly wisdom and uh, human flesh. And what was happening was that Paul was concerned that the Galatians were actually having a mixture of God and human flesh and human word combined, so much so that the word of God was no longer this awesome happening of God, not this awesome substance of God, but it was merely a dialogical kind of set of rational um, philosophies that comported with the good uh, philosophies of the world. No, what, what Paul was concerned about was that the, ch- the, 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 the church had lost its sense of the word. And that's why Paul, when you, if, when you read Galatians uh, chapter 1, you see he's, he's kind of salty. He's very salty. And he's kind of almost like an upstart. He's like, like, no, I am not like that. I am not like that. The word of God is not like that. And so he, he distinguishes his, his call and his word from every other word. Let's have a look at this. It's, it's quite cute, actually. Well, <laughs> Verse 4. Um, uh, verse 3, okay. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from this present evil age. Note, note the tone in his voice, right? He's always like saying, I am not of that. I am not to be conflated with the things of the world. Um, he might rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of God the Father. I am amazed, verse 6, that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel which is really not another, only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. What he's saying is this, you, you are getting influenced by the things of the world. You're, the holiness, the otherness, the separateness of the word that God speaks to, to, to you, the, that separateness of the godness in you has been compromised. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be a curse or let him be a curse in uh, King James Version. He's saying like, even if an angel says, I don't care whether it's an angel who spoke to you, um, he would not be like the angel, the, the, the shepherds on, on Christmas Day. Uh, no, let him be, be a curse if he gives a different gospel. He's very mad. For I am now seeking, for am I now seeking the favor of man, men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? For I'm, if I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. So you see that Paul, he's not just talking about the world, he's talking about himself, how he embodies that separateness from the world. For I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. It does not comport with man. It may agree with certain things about man, but it's from a whole different spring. He may agree with the ethics of human, humankind or, or the philosophies of, 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 of man. But it is of a whole different thing. 
Its dialogical nature is not what has the power. It is the fact that it was spoken to me by God. Like the, the powerful thing that happened on, on, on Mount Sinai. For I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. That means I didn't hear it. I didn't hear it by reading up a lot of stuff. I heard it when God spoke to me. For I never read, neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. God wrote it. It had the finger of God. And that can be distinguished from any kind of dialogical or rational or database-based uh, information that comports with things that you can read in books. For you have heard of my former manner of life in Judaism, how I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure and try to destroy it. But verse 15, but when God, who had set me apart, even from my mother's womb, and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood. What he was saying is this, this he, uh, you, you can probably see this, he's separating himself. He's separating his experience from any other thing that is a, a human or common experience with the world. He says, the Lord who separated me out from the mother's womb. I feel that today, the church of Jesus Christ is in a terrible malaise. We are, at this point of time, reeling in some ways from failures that the church has had in the face of the world, in the face of our own demons. We have spoken the word many times and many, many words have been spoken out of the church. But there seems to be an inability for those words to have any solidness or any substance for us to be even be able to manage our own personal lives. The events of the past few months and years, actually past few years, in the Church of Jesus Christ at large, have become abject. There is a certain failure. And I'm not one to condemn or to pass judgment. But there is a certain emptiness, a certain vacuum in the words that we have. Paul said, when I went to see the, the, the disciples, and including Peter and James, I found that the revelation that God had given to me lacked nothing that they knew. Even though I was never a disciple of Christ, I received it from God. He had actually received it in the, in the wilderness of Arabia. And he found that when I com compared what God had spoken to me with what they already knew by experience with Jesus Christ, there was no, no lack on, on his part. Such was the nature of revelation. I want to put it to you that in these times, we need a word that's more than just philosophy, Christian philosophy or Christian uh, um, um, thought or that which we can be received as information. We need more than just that. We need a word that fills up the vacuum in our life. In Amos chapter 8, 
I feel it's uh, prophetic for this year. Behold, God says, the days are coming, declares the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread or a thirst for water, but rather for hearing the words of the Lord. People will stagger from sea to sea and from the north even to the east. They will go to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. Amos Amos chapter 8, verse 11 to 16, I believe. We have no lack of books and Christian books and Christian bookstores. We have no lack of exegesis, exposition, books of all kinds about the Word of God. What's lacking is the Word of God in the sense that Paul was speaking about and Moses. What we are lacking is what the angel said, just as he said. We are lacking that, and because of that, that is in spite of the number of bookstores, Christian bookstores and Christian books and theology and all that, a famine for the word of God. May I suggest to you that in this year, the year to come, the world, you and me, in all our in-between times, will need something better than words of Christianity that comport with the best thoughts in the world. I'm not talking about the quality of the thought. I'm talking about the encounter with God. I'm talking about the way in which the word of God comes as something that's distinct from any other thing that changes us. Any kind of word that may be true, but is not the presence and power and the reality of God in an an encounter is not enough to take us that 200 miles. It is this 200 miles in which God is going to cause us to experience the word of God becoming a conviction, becoming more and more than just um, information in our minds. Thank God for information. Don't get me wrong. The word of God is logos as well as rhema. It is logos in the sense that it is reasonable, it is rational, and it comports with nature. It works with it. It, has, it, is, it makes sense. It is, there is, there is, it is reasonable as well, but it is more than that. Those things cannot define the word of God. You and I will, be, will have to be people who know him in this year because nothing else will be enough for that. Amen. So, so this is something that I feel that um, um, the, ch- the disciples were going to experience as they made their journey, journey to Galilee. There are many of us who are experiencing the uncertainty, the anxiety of this age. Turn with me, please, to this last passage I'm going to look at with you. It's Psalm 84. Psalm 84 also speaks about the in-between time. And uh, it's a well-beloved psalm. I identify with it very, very much. And over the past few days, it has become very meaningful to me. Um, psalm 84 is a, is a psalm that um, the worshippers would sing um, on the way to Jerusalem on pilgrimage. So there would be a distance that they would be going 
from wherever they were from different parts of Israel to the temple in Jerusalem. And they would long for the presence of God in Jerusalem. And they would sing Psalm 84 along the way, so many scholars believe. And, uh, and Psalm 84 is strange because it, it, it longs for the arrival in Jerusalem. But it talks about the in-between time, in this pilgrimage, in the journey, and how they can experience the presence of God even along the way. So much so that the way that they're going on causes them to grow from strength to strength even before they reach the, 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 the temple. So I'd like to spend the rest of this time just looking at this a little bit and just digging around a little bit and seeing what God has for us, okay? How lovely are your dwelling places, O Lord of hosts. My soul longed, even yearned for the courts of the Lord. My heart, my flesh sing for joy to the living God. Isn't that amazing? They are longing for God. And I want to invite you to long and yearn for God. Long and yearn for God. It seems powerless, but it's powerful. The longing and the yearning, what it does is this. If we give room to longing and for yearning, we give voice to that and gives place to that. And we own the yearning and the, own the longing. The longing and yearning that's based upon the fact that we don't have it fully. But at the same time, we allow our emotions, we allow our desire to go after it. Now, this is something we don't like. We don't like to do. We don't like to yearn or long for things that we don't have. We don't like to yearn or long for, for, for things or give emotional uh, investment upon things that we're not sure we're going to get. But I want to put it to you that yearning and longing is a very important part of hearing from God. It's an important part of allowing God to, 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 um, to, to adjust us and to uh, form us so much so much that we are ready to receive the Word of God in a powerful way. Without the yearning and longing, uh, and you can see this in Isaiah chapter 26 as well, in the way of your, your, your judgments and, your me- and, and its memories, my heart yearns for you in the night. That kind of thing preps the heart so that we would be um, conduced to hearing from God and that the Word of God begins to have more resonances than it just being like a ping that just bounces off us. So the, the, the soul longs and yearns for the courts of the Lord. This is something that I feel that we in our society don't like to do. We like to be happy. We like to be contented. We like to be contented and not give place or give room to what we don't have. But God has put yearning in our hearts because we puny little people cannot be fully satisfied with the puniness of our own happy experiences. It is, it's, it, it, it is damning for us to actually allow ourselves to just try to be happy with what we have. No, yearning and longing tells, opens up the fact that a deeper part of us longs and needs God in His greater intimacy than we are experiencing. And so I want to put it to you that actually far from being a person who's a happy Christian, who's, who, who doesn't like to expose the yearning, the longing, the frustration, the, 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 the struggle for God and the sense of God's ab- seeming absence. No, we allow our heart to yearn because yearning will take the heart to places where the Holy Spirit can work in our hearts. And I find that by yearning, by yearning for more and more of God's manifestation, yearning for revival, my heart is changing. Because what is happening is that it's changing me so that my heart is more single, more focused, more desirous, more pushy 
in my, in my prayer. More, 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 more perseverant in that. Without that yearning, without that longing, without that sense of, oh, I, of deficit, the sense of, 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 of a godly dissatisfaction, our hearts remain tepid, cold. My soul longs and even yearns for the cause of the Lord. I want to put it to you that there are times in which God wants to do powerful things in your life by putting a burden in your heart. But our, 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 our emotional um, uh, mood today in these contemporary ideas is to just be happy and to be, hap- and to be above it. And I want to put it to you that we don't like to carry burdens. We don't like to feel disturbed. We don't like to feel a certain uh, perturbation in our spirit when someone in our, in our family is not doing well or someone, some, something in our work is not, it doesn't seem right, or something in the, in, 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 in the nation is, seems, to be, it seems, seems to be off. There's something about a burden that God wants us to receive. When you hear the word of God, don't harden your heart, because there's a hardening that can happen because of the fact that we just do not like burdens. We do not like things that are not yet. And I want to put it to you that Jesus is inviting us in the 200-mile journey where there is not a face-to-face. There is not a fulfillment for us to fulfill it up by yearning because yearning is going to be the investment that will cause the joy to be greater, will cause the cup to be stretched out bigger and the cup of joy to be stronger. Verse 3, The bird also has found a house and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young, even your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. This is very real to me. I feel like a bird and I felt that for many years with my family, my children. I feel like always this verse has comforted me me many times because I'm like a bird who's constantly anxious, praying for my children. And I pray until my, my spirit I find that God gives me rest for every single one of them. And I pray that I spend hours and hours and hours praying for that because there is no rest in this world for them. When, uh, just, just, I was just telling Kaylin yesterday that before she was born, I was very worried about the generation that she was going to be born into and the, and the world that we are bringing our children into. And the Lord gave me a word. He will save them from this generation. And I found that in, in, in real time, it's not enough for me just to take that word and just say it's a done deal. He wants to bring me into that process. And I feel like in my spirit, my prayer, I pray for them until rest comes. And it's as if I can just put them on the altars of the Lord and I'm at rest for them. And whenever I feel a certain perturbation in my heart when I'm worried for them, or when I'm concerned for them, or I, I and, and, and this has been for all the years, I will not allow myself to just be comforted by my mind to think, well, it's going to be okay. I may tell my wife, oh, I think it's going to be okay, but inside me, I'll be praying. <laughs> she knows that during the night, <laughs> when she'll, she'll wake up and she'll say, I'm worried about this, and I'll say, it's going to be okay, and then she'll hear me praying in tongues <laughs> for the rest of the night. There is something about that. There's something about the unfulfilledness, the incompletion, the dangers along the way, that yearning and longing, and like a swallow who's 
or like a bird that's just kind of searching, scanning, waiting, struggling, wrestling through, knowing that uh, we don't have the power to solve problems or, or, to, or, or, to, or to vouchsafe their journey over to the other side. I feel that in my spirit, I have to pray until I'm satisfied that it's going to be okay. And the witness of the spirit comes upon me. I feel they are in, in place. I feel that many Christians have shallow experiences because they don't allow burdens like that to come upon them along the way. The way between uh, our pilgrimage is a way in which God puts the substance in us. How blessed are those who dwell in your house, verse 4. They are ever praising, praising you. The psalmist is saying, oh, I wish I could live in the temple just like those Levites. Huh, I hope they enjoy it and they, 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 they appreciate what they have. I wish I'm there. I'm not there. I have to live in Galilee. I have to live in, in, uh, in, in, in the, 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 the desert right now. I'm not there. But oh, how nice if I could be there. But I'm not. But I'm not. But what verse 1, 2, and 3 is talking about and the rest of this is about how even though we are not there, we can experience it in our spirit. Yeah, the reality. Verse 5. How blessed is the man whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. And it's in this place that I want to say that um, this year has to be a year in which God puts the highways to Zion in each one of us. The highways to perfection. To perf- the, Zion, if Zion is the place of, of, um, of uh, you know, in Hebrews chapter 12, the place, place of just spirits made perfect. The way in which God's fulfillment can happen. I want to put it to you that if you have a heart of prayer, that's like a highway to Zion. It says here, when they pass through the valley of Baca, when you pass, your heart goes through the passages through life, keeping its eye upon God. And the early rain will cover it with blessings. They'll go from strength to strength. And every one of your highways will appear before God in Zion, verse 7. Isn't that amazing? Every one of them will go there. The journey of a 200 miles is a journey of, in which you go from strength to strength. You will go through valleys, and in each of these valleys, you dig a well. You dig a well. You dig deeper into God. And by the time you reach Zion, you are so good at digging. You can find God anywhere. You don't need to be in the temple. You already experience His power and His fullness. Amen? Let us pray. Two thousand twenty-one doesn't have to look great. In fact, in many ways, I'm guessing that for many of us, 2021 looks as blah, as unfulfilled as 2020. But blessed is the person in whose hearts are the highways to Zion. I never knew what it would be like for God to break out in a meeting with miracles and miracles and miracles after miracles. But I've experienced that. I know what it's like to yearn for that. And then to believe that God can set me on highway. To experience His presence, His power, in ways that are overwhelming. The attestation of our belief is that we will cast out demons. We will speak in new tongues. We will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. 
We will step on scorpions and snakes and we will not be harmed. Our thought, even our biblical thought, has been contracted and diminished to the extent that our biblical knowledge is only a matter of being balanced with human data. It is true that the Word of God is rational and relates to human data. But have we forgotten its essential nature? In which Paul can say, the Word of God is not imprisoned. Lord, we welcome you, Lord. We yearn for you. Yes, God. We thank you right now that Jesus' disciples that could not listen to the evidence of the women, of Mary Magdalene. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you gave them time. Yes, Lord. You gave, you give us time. Lord God, we know that there are those who don't even want to look at evidence, that it's too frightening to us. But we thank you right now that you're at work in our hearts right now to make us able to see the evidence of what, Lord God, how, what you're doing right now and how true these things are. I thank you for Michael. I thank you, God, that uh, I heard these words years ago and I found that you're a God that writes on the heart and you do speak a word that have come true over and over again in our lives. What he says about the girls, the times of deliverance, how true that is, how many stories we can't even tell when you snatch them out, God, of the fowler's net. You have been so true Mm -hmm. to that. I thank you, God, even this year, Lord, that you spoke, Lord, to get my news from you, that even the news cannot tell the truth the way that you can. So we thank you right now, Lord, Hebrews 5, for everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness for he is a babe, but strong meat belongs to them that are full age, even though by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. And we thank you right now. You today, you are calling many of us to not just live on milk, to not just live on things chewed up by other people, that do not grow us, to not live off the newscasters and maybe even lies that the devil is telling us. But we thank you today. You call us to take true meat that we will grow and we can discern because Lord, you know that we're in days where we need those who took the transfer of power you were doing when you called them God to yourself. And that as you were sent by your father, you are sending us. So we praise you right now that you send us strong, So, Lord, we pray right now a mighty wind of your spirit will go, that you will take over our wills right now in Jesus' name, that our will will be your Father's will, just as your will was your Father's will. And we will listen to the truth of your word. Do that now, we pray. Amen. Cause us to want your meat, Lord. Amen. We are going to go into a time of soaking and prayer ministry. I feel that The Lord is stirring and moving deeply in many hearts today. And I want to invite you to join us at the soaking where sometimes yearning, longing, even disappointment, frustration can be brought to God. And God can do something powerful in that. If you have decided that you are not going to be in denial of 
the disappointment or the frustration that perhaps you may be having in this in-between time. You can bring it to God and wait upon Him. I believe that God has something for us. There is an encounter that has to happen beyond words that we have listened to. This is the moment in which God can do a work in us. So Lord, we release you, release ourselves to you and ask you, Lord, even now that you open our mouths wide, that we may feel it, that you may feel it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 God bless you and have a great week. <laughs>